I'm going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane tonight. We've uh, um, been looking in this time around leading up to the cross, and uh, uh, anytime you look in that area, it's a blessing. Anytime you look at that time, uh, you know, if you uh, study the Bible for any length of time, you realize that God, uh, He he focuses, he focuses us by uh, how many verses and how many chapters are dedicated to things. You know, people want the answers to how, uh, you know, this world was created. And the Bible talks about it, but it spends very little time talking about it. Uh, then you get uh, into the gospel. In the Old Testament, you may have uh, from one verse to the next, you may have a decade, 20 years, 30, 50, 100 years pass by between two verses. God doesn't talk about it. It's not important. You know, the Bible doesn't have every single thing in here, but what it has is important. And then you get to the Gospels, and uh, we start to slow down now. We start to, uh, as Jesus comes on uh, to this earth, we start, it, it slows down in that three and a half years that he, uh, his ministry, uh, uh, we see where, but again, there are times where there are, are jumps of months uh, and, and maybe even a year in between the ministry and between things that happen where we don't have all the details. And at the end of John, John tells us we don't have everything that Jesus ever said or did. The books uh, of this world couldn't contain it. But one thing you do notice is once you start to get towards the cross, that last week there from Palm Sunday to the cross, it really starts to slow down. We get more details and it goes down to gets down to the days, you know, uh, and then when you get to the cross, it slows down even more. It gets down to the hours and it's trying to show you something, uh, you know, with the same Bible that would jump a hundred or 200 or 400 years from one verse to the next is now telling us the six hours of the cross would happen. God's trying to show us something that's important. So I, I always like when we can dig into one of these areas that God has shown us uh, is important in this uh, uh, the garden is one of those things that's in all four Gospels, and that is rare too, that uh, they all four talk about an event, and again, showing importance of things. But Luke 22, uh, tonight, we're going to start in verse 39, so uh, a good way into the chapter, verse uh, 39 in Luke chapter 22, this is... Uh, uh, they had just celebrated the Passover uh, Jesus did with his disciples in the upper room. Uh, you remember... <sighs> Sorry, they celebrated the uh, the old Passover, uh, the, the one that commemorated them, God bringing them out of Egypt and out of bondage. And then at the end of that, when they were supposed to fast at that point and everything was done, uh, Jesus took the bread and the cup and he instituted uh, a, a new thing that night. We call it the Lord's Supper or communion, uh, which we still do today in remembrance of what Jesus was about to do. Uh, then they sang a hymn, the Bible says, and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. So Luke twenty two thirty nine, and he came out and went as he was wont to the Mount of Olives and his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them 
sleeping for sorrow. And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for an opportunity to come in tonight. Lord, we thank you for your word uh, and its truth tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd help it to come alive in our minds and in our hearts tonight, Lord, that we would uh, you would take us back to that night. And Lord, help us to understand truth that we can apply to our lives today. Lord, we are so thankful that you died on the cross for our sins. And I'm glad that you're still with us. And one day you said you're coming back to get us. And Lord, we can't wait till that day. And Lord, help us tonight. Fill me with the unction of the Holy Spirit. Cleanse me uh, of sin and self. And Lord, help me uh, to preach what you've given to me tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And amen. So again, they had uh, they had just done, they were in the upper room. They traveled uh, to Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the side of the Mount of Olives. And uh, they traveled, remember, with 11 disciples because Judas had already left uh, in the middle, uh, in the upper room. He'd already left to go tell them where Jesus was going to be at. And that should tell you something right there uh, because uh, they had, remember, Judas didn't know where they were going to celebrate the Passover. Remember, remember that? None of them knew. Remember, that's why they came to him and asked, like, where are we going to do? They were panicked. Uh, it was the morning, uh, uh, that morning. Where are we going to celebrate it? It's tonight. We got to make preparations. And that's when the Lord sent them, you know, follow the man with the water pot. And you'll find that upper room furnished and prepared. And you think about that. That's a wonderful picture of faith. But also a detail that we get in there is Judas didn't know they were going to be in in the upper room because if he did he would have had them arrest him then but it wasn't the time yet and God knew his heart God knew what was going to happen and in fact God gave Judas another chance to repent right there because there when he says you're going to betray me uh, what thou doest doest it quickly he could have stopped he could have stopped that right there but he chose instead uh, to allow uh, the pride and whatever else to take over and Satan entered in and Satan didn't make up his mind uh, there are times when the hearts are hardened but what does cement do it just hardens in the form that you make it in right it doesn't change shapes it just hardens and that's the same thing as the heart you know some people will say like pharaoh pharaoh didn't have a choice no pharaoh's heart was hardened after he rejected god so anyway that's free right there but there uh, so the 11 are out to the garden of gethsemane and if judas knew from the uh, upper room supper judas knew where he would be next because he must have oftentimes taken them there to pray and that's a wonderful thing to think about. Uh, the Lord, you can go through the Gospels and see how many times Jesus prays, uh, even when he's tired, uh, even when he's uh, hungry and different things like that. Jesus is always finding time to pray. And that's a good lesson for us as well. Uh, but there they are. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, uh, and, and both, like I said, this is in the other Gospels. Uh, and both in Matthew chapter 26 and Mark chapter 14, the parallel passages, it tells us uh, a verse. Uh, it tells us that Peter, James, and John go a little further, uh, and and so we don't have that detail in Luke. But he he leaves the eleven and he takes Peter, James, and John and goes a little further there at the garden to pray with him. Uh, and then Matthew fourteen thirty four, Jesus said unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. 
Then in verse 40 in our passage, and when he was at the place, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. So Jesus wanted to pray himself, but he didn't want to pray alone. He wanted them just a stone's throw away, Peter, James, and John, to pray with him and pray for him. And and we know the story. Many of us have heard it before, read it before. We know that the disciples fall asleep. And in fact, if you look at the, the three the passages together, you find out they fell asleep three different times. Three times, and he's waking them up twice. Uh, and you think about, uh, I, I think about their uh, how important of a time it was in Jesus' life. They didn't realize it, but Jesus knew it. But it reminds me when I think of the the verse talking about the verses talking about them sleeping. Romans thirteen eleven comes to my mind, and that knowing the time that it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And that uh, obviously has a spiritual meaning to it, not physical sleep, but spiritually, and you think about this, uh, this world can rock us to sleep. This world can basically put us to sleep spiritually. It does that with blessings. It does that with keeping us busy and distracted and everything else. Uh, and the disciples there were physically sleeping that night, uh, but I, they didn't even realize how close the danger was. They didn't realize that they were just a, a maybe an hour or two away uh, from the mob coming Uh, from them taking Jesus, from their world being turned upside down, they had no idea. But Jesus did. And what did he tell them? Watch and pray. Or else you'll enter into, you know, that you won't enter into this temptation, that you avoid those things and instead they slept. And we we have to be careful. Uh, You know, sleep is important, but I I think many times spiritually uh, we have fallen asleep and don't even really realize it. But if they would have prayed, it would have helped them. It would have helped them during the arrest, right? Peter, James, and John. It would have helped them uh, at the trial. It would have helped them at the crucifixion and the resurrection to come. Uh, they, they, Like I said, their worlds were going to be t- turned upside down. A lot of questions, a lot of uh, despair and everything else, not knowing if they'd ever see Jesus again. But uh, what you see uh, is you see that angel strengthening later. Jesus, after he prays, they could have got the same strengthening from God. But instead they were sleeping. And it makes me wonder how many times I've done the same spiritually. So there, uh, Peter, James, and John are there. He's a stone's throw. Or uh, some of the, Matthew says he went a little further. And then that's always a nice phrase to think about Jesus going a little further. He's going further than we are. Uh, but here in verse 42, this is important in Luke. Uh, it's saying this is what Jesus was praying. Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And Jesus knew the Father's will. He knew God the Father's will. And that was for him to bear the sins of the world on the cross, to die in our place. And Jesus had already agreed to this. He agreed to this when he was born of a virgin and came to this earth. He agreed to the Father's plan. But like many things, it's another decision point, right? He's getting closer to it. Uh, And I believe you look at the entire thing. Jesus voluntarily gave his life. In fact, there are many times he could have walked away, including right here. He could have just walked away, said, I'm not doing it. Uh, in all reality, he could have said, we're not worth it. It would be true. 
It would be true. There's no good in us. There's no redeeming qualities in us. He did it because he loved us. But don't mistake that love for uh, a maybe a series of events happening. And once he gets arrested, he can't get out of it. I'm telling you what, the man that walked on water could have gotten down off the cross if he wanted to. He could have. I believe that. But instead, that that love and that willingness to die in our place is what kept him there. But he agreed. Uh, Jesus, he was about to drink the cup of God's wrath. He's talking about removing it. And that's the punishment for the sins of the world. And not only the, the punishment and the pain, but the shame that comes with sin as well. He was getting ready to take all of that on. The man that knew no sin was going to become that, was going to take on our sins to the cross. Jesus had agreed to lay down his life uh, and he he was saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. But then he says that word I love. Nevertheless, now we usually would say but at this point, but really what happens is uh, when you use a word like but uh, or nevertheless or something like that, one of those types of words, what you're saying is whatever comes before it, you're lessening and whatever comes after it, you're making it greater. Right. Sometimes you you ever met someone who apologizes and then they say the word but and then they give an excuse. Well, that lowers the apology and raises the excuse. Right. I call it a sorry, but it doesn't really mean anything. Right. Uh, I'm sorry that I got caught or whatever, you know, uh, whatever those things. But what he's saying is uh, this, this cup, I know it's coming. It is it is agony. Uh, it, it is guilt. It is shame. It is pain. It is, it's the, the punishment of sin all the way to the cross. And he's saying I, uh, that cup is an awful cup to drink. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And he put God's will above all of that. And that's a blessing to think about that. In fact, we could stop right there and you could just stop and say, praise God for that. Because again, he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to give his life. He chose to do that. And we should thank him uh, and praise him that he's willing to give his life for mine, right? His life for your life and our place. But then once we stop thanking him and praising him and everything else, we didn't and, and say, thank you for giving your life for mine. We need to stop and ask ourselves, are we willing to do the same thing are we willing to do the same thing in our life I have hopes don't you I have dreams I have plans uh, I have aspirations you know there's different times things uh, you know maybe one idea or another idea uh, and you want it to just take over everything but what's he saying remember I've got hopes and dreams and plans and everything else nevertheless not my will but thy will be done right that's that's what Jesus did why do we Now, why are we not willing to do the same thing? He was willing to die for us. He's not asking us to die on the Roman cross uh, for, for him. He's asking us to serve him. It's not a heavy price to pay. In fact, the Bible says it's our reasonable service to do that. Why aren't we willing to do it when he purchased our own life for us? It wasn't ours. He bought us. He, he freed us from the bondage of sin. 43, and there appeared an angel from uh, unto him from heaven, strengthening him. So this, uh, the cup, he's agreeing to it. He hasn't drank it yet, uh, but he, he knows what's to come. And God the Father knows the strength that he's going to need that he doesn't have. Uh, and he gives, uh, sends that angel to help strengthen him. Because you think about it, he's about to go through uh, multiple trials uh, coming up. He's, he's going to go, in fact, six trials. He's going to go uh, to... Uh, 
Annas, Caiaphas, Sanhedrin, uh, Pilate, Herod, and back to Pilate. Six different trials he's about to go through that night. The mocking, the beating, the whipping, uh, and then the cross itself. And he's not going to sleep again. He had he slept, I'm guessing, the night before. It's evening now. He is not going to sleep. He's going to die on the cross the next day in the afternoon. He's, I don't think he's going to eat again or anything else. But he is about to go through uh, with the hardest time of anyone's life. He's getting ready to go through and God strengthened him for that and then we see the prayer continues in verse 44 and this is what I want to focus on tonight and being in an agony he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground Jesus had already prayed, but now he is praying more earnestly, more seriously. Why? Because the Bible says he's in agony. And you think about agony, that extreme pain, but it wasn't a physical pain. Not at this point. He, he hadn't been beaten yet or whipped yet or anything else. It was a mental pain. It was a mental anguish that he was going through. Why? Because the creator of life was getting ready to look death right in the face. He was going to be a substitute for us. uh, And he already knew he was going to be whipped. He knew he was going to be beaten. He knew he was going to die on the cross. He knew these things. We know it. Uh, Isaiah 53. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we need to esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He told Isaiah hundreds of years ahead of time what would happen to him. He knew what was coming the next day. He knew it. And in fact, if you didn't, if you didn't believe that, Matthew 20, 18 and 19, this is Jesus speaking. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him unto the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. My goodness, he told them exactly down to every detail what would happen. He knew it was coming. What's crazy is they didn't, understand that they didn't believe that we read that today and say how easy that's exactly what happened but like i said i'm sure there are things that are unfulfilled that we don't understand the same way but anyway he knew he was going to be betrayed mocked scourged and executed and the cross you know we have it in necklaces we pretty it up and everything else the cross is probably one of the most brutal ways to kill somebody excruciating pain that's where we get excruciating from the word is from the cross and nailing uh, uh, either in the hands but they probably think it was nailed through the wrist actually because if you nail the hand it would go right through but imagine right there in your wrist where all those nerves are and muscles and everything else putting the nail right there putting the nail through the feet uh, and then uh, you t- take a breath you got to pull yourself up and push yourself through the nails you got to do that to take a breath and then go back down and you're doing that over and over again and it could take them uh, it, it could take people as long as a day to die that way over and over again laboring in pain with each breath after he was whipped and some of the people didn't make it past the scourging but it was an awful way to die and he knew it was coming and think about this If you knew exactly what was coming and you were going to be uh, betrayed, mocked, scourged and executed on the cross, you'd be in agony too, right? You would be. Now, this is Luke's account, and I picked this 
for a certain reason. I like Dr. Luke. He was a physician. He was a doctor. He was medical. He, he knew uh, things about the body. And you see that throughout his gospel. You see him uh, explaining medical conditions a little further. And, and this is no different right here. He said uh, that this second, uh, this uh, more earnest prayer as he's doing it, it says, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And I looked this up and uh, I, I I could have said the word and struggled with the word, but it's a real medical condition. And basically, as I was reading it, the, uh, you've got your sweat glands have blood vessels around them that are real small. And as that agony, as that extreme excruciating, uh, uh, you know, mental anguish that he was going through, uh, those blood vessels expand and expand. And it got, gets so bad that they break and that blood mixes with the sweat and you see great drops of blood falling down. Dr. Luke knew exactly what that was. And he knew that it was very rare. That's an extremely rare thing that can happen medically. And it's only extreme anguish. So Luke is showing us that, hey, that night he was in agony. Yes, but he was in such agony that his body uh, uh, was just. Uh, was being tore up basically because of what was going to happen. And you think of all that, and yet I go back to what he said in the prayer again. Nevertheless, uh, not my will, uh, but thine be done. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, uh, I am willing to put God's will first. And that's an amazing thing to think about. Well, I've changed it up a little tonight and see if this works. But I want to show you something. The Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, the word means oil press. And you've got the Mount of Olives, you've got the valley there, you've got the Garden of Gethsemane, and I don't have an olive tree, but basically what would happen is they would gather the olives together, uh, and they would put them in something like this with that millstone, they would put them in the bottom, and either they would walk it around or an animal would walk it around, and that heavy stone would crush those olives into a pulp. That's what they would do first. And then after that, the next step is this. So what they would do is put that pulp in these basket-like things. I don't know if you can see that very well. But it's kind of like a basket. And what it would do uh, is it would strain them. So they would load up the pulp in these baskets. And you can kind of see them over here. It almost looks like tires there. But those full of pulp uh, from the olive trees... And then up here, you can see they put a heavy stone at the top. And then this thing up here, this uh, hole is in, a, is in a hole over there. And basically, they're making a lever. And what they do on this side is they start adding really heavy weights over here. So what happens is all this weight of the stone and the weight out here on this lever pushes down with a lot of force and squeezes these baskets in the pulp. And what happens is that olive oil starts to run out and they collect it in a basin right here. That's how they would get olive oil back then. You know what this is called? This wood and the weight and this, this whole contraption is called Gethsemane. It's an olive press. So that is the garden of the olive press. And you think about what it takes to get olive oil. They've got to press and squeeze with extreme pressure and weight and everything else just to get that little bit of olive oil to come out so they can use it. And what God is trying to show us, that these weights right here are just like our sin. Right? 
Our sin was placed on Jesus Christ. The weight and, and of the shame and of the, the uh, pain and everything else that he was going to endure was like adding weights to the side of that press that just squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. And that is what Jesus' mind was going through in anguish. You think about that. It's as if we added those weights onto him. And he's in anguish. So those drops of blood and sweat mixed together, that's from us. And you think about what I said. He was willing to go through this before even being arrested. Before being betrayed, before being hauled off in front of the Jews and standing before trials, having his beard plucked out, uh, being buffeted, they blindfolded him and hit him and were mocking him and say, prophesy unto us who hit you. Uh, and then they drug him off to Pilate, who we, we preached the other, the other day about how Pilate was trying to get out of it uh, and then sent him to Herod. And, and when he wouldn't speak to Herod, Herod sent him back to Pilate and Pilate eventually gave in to the people and had an innocent man scourged and crucified on the cross but all of this was because of our sin and again he voluntarily went through these things because he loved us and that is why when you think about his prayer in the garden of the olive press of Gethsemane and you think about him saying nevertheless not my will but thy will be done if he's willing to say that to God the Father and go through with it all the way to the cross for you and I I think we're willing to say the same thing to him aren't you and realize that it can't be just words but with our actions as well putting God's will ahead of our own because not to stay saved or not to do anything like that, but because he loves us and we owe our lives to him. And you think about this. Man was created in the Garden of Eden, right? Genesis 2. Man sinned against God also in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 3. And then one day you get all the way to Revelation 22. John's getting ready to see a new heaven and a new earth for 21 and 22. And I believe there's gardens there, right? Because the, the first earth had gardens, had plants, but there'll be no thorns and thistles in the new one. And then he talks about in chapter 22, that river of life flowing through. And then he talks about the trees on it and the, the fruit that comes out of it and the leaves that are for healing. And he starts talking about all these things. So you've got, we started in a garden and we're going to end in the garden. And then sin came in the garden and sin was dealt with in the garden. And then he made it to the cross. Isn't that amazing to think about? God knows what he's doing. I don't know if you can see this. This is really small. But here is the temple right here. He went from the upper room all the way through here to the Mount of Olives. He was arrested and went real close back to Caiaphas' house. And then they took him to where Pilate was first. And then Herod, they don't know where, but it could have been here. And then back to the fortress. Remember we talked about that the other day. That's where Paul, they arrested Paul on the stairs. That's the same fortress they took Jesus. That's where the pavement is. That's where the trial was, and then they took him to the cross, and then they buried him in Joseph's tomb, all in that same little area. But guess what? You know where he's coming? He left from, and he's coming back from right here. 
Isn't that amazing to think about? And what's amazing is you can look at the pictures now and you think, how on earth is there going to be another temple there? How is this going to happen? How's that going to happen? And you know what I say, God? I don't know how. It doesn't all make sense. But you said it would happen. And he's going to one day split the eastern sky. He's going to come get us one day. And one day we're going to come with him. And he's going to land on the same Mount of Olives he ascended from. And he's taken over. And he's sitting on David's throne. Now again, I don't know how he's going to do all these things. But that's what he said. And I believe it. I thank God for that. Well, I want to open it up tonight. Uh, If you need to pray.